Welcome to this month's Simple Farms LLC podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Scott Scheimer is joining me for our conversation here today. He is not only a farmer from Cheyenne Wells, Colorado, but also but is also the founder and creator of the Simple Farms LLC app, which is a margin analysis tool. We'll talk more about that app throughout the show here today. Scott, you said before we started recording that it is a whirlwind on the farm right now. Yeah, it's the season. Got the pivots up and going, and then we're looking at the weather forecast, and we're going to have to uh, drain the irrigation, winterize everything again. Looks like we're going to get pretty cold this weekend. So uh, we've got sprinklers up and running, and uh, we're getting our fertility program lined up. We just got our Haney tests in, and those are basically telling us what our available FOS and nitrogen are, the, the basics, and making our decisions and what we're going to be putting out there in the field with the crops we're growing. How do you go about making those decisions? Walk me through that process. All right. So the first thing we'll do is we do use Simple Farms. We run our budget for the year. Uh, we run a cash flow analysis to see, uh, basically take our anticipated production, which is usually our five-year average. And then, you know, obviously we look at our soil conditions. Do we have the moisture? Do we not? Maybe we'll tweak those numbers a little bit up or down. This year we're actually reducing our anticipated production by about 10% right now. And then we get a fertility samples and those fertility tests tell us how much nitrogen or phosphorus we're going to need to reach our yield goals. And we plug those numbers in with the budget. We find out what our cost of the fertilizer is, plug all that together and uh, start making our decisions and see if we can run in the black. Scott, is it looking a lot different this time of year as far as uh, nitrogen and fertilizer input costs because prices are down a little bit more? Or is it about the same as last year, would you say? No, they look a little better. And our market prices are a little higher at this point in time relative to a year ago. The unfortunate thing right now is we just don't see moisture in the forecast. I mean, every time they start to show something, it disappears. And these hot, dry days, these winds, we're losing our moisture and uh, we don't have much in our profiles. So where I had, uh, I just had a phone call from the crop adjuster. I know we have a few fields of wheat that never even emerged that we got released. So we're making plans to switch to millet or milo on those acres. You still have to pivot all the time, make a decision what you're going to do next based on the situation you have. I haven't seen a drought monitor for Cheyenne Wells in particular, Scott, but I do know that dry, windy, droughty conditions are really bad in southeastern Colorado. Yeah, we were looking good till about three months ago. And, uh, you know, the next timely rain could pull us right back out of this. It's done it many times before. But, uh, yeah, you pretty much get south of I-70 and we're all hurting pretty bad. What's really sad is you cross into Kansas and those guys, they're... They're in worse shape over there, right on the western end. A lot of those guys have already gotten their wheat released. Scott, I've heard that a lot myself as well. Just staying on the topic of wheat here for a moment and some of the conversations I've had, it's so weird how some fields, particularly even in the front range, are at a total loss and other fields, neighboring fields are just fine. You know, if they got the moisture and they got a good emergence, they're fine. And then a the next door field is a loss. It's, you know, they're going to yeah. have to tear it out. It's just really interesting. I know Colorado's like that every year, but I feel like I'm talking about it more this year with more farmers. You know, what guys are doing with one field relative to the guy next to them is really showing up this year. And I can tell you, too, I don't know the right answer either. 
You know, even on yeah. our operation, we do a lot of variability. I'm not sure one guy's doing the right thing or the other's doing the wrong thing. It's just when they did it, how they did it, that's how that pans out. It's There's not a perfect tool. We're all just fighting to try and survive with this and trying to do the best we can in our perspective. But it sure makes it tough in these extreme years. Scott, what do the dry conditions mean for the carbon farming aspect of your farm? Yeah, uh, what we're really focusing on utilizing that program is what payments we do receive. It does help us stay more no-till. You know, the chemical applications, they, they get pretty pricey, especially some of these products out there. Fertilizer's down, but some of these chemicals are up 10 15%. But we're using those. We're trying to really maintain our residue out there keep from uh, tilling that under and getting rid of our residues. So the biggest carbon sequestering is actually growing a crop, but it does take rain. And uh, we'll hang on. I've learned you plant that crop and somehow you get the right rains and uh, you end up raising something. We did last year, so I got hope this year. I guess that's when you start talking about diversifying, which I know you are probably one of the most diversified people that are out there that I talk to on a regular basis. There's a lot of guys that are really focusing on diversity, but we uh, we keep pushing it a little bit. This year we're doing cereal rye, which personally I've never seen growing in our region from other individuals other than a few guys will use triticale for grazing, but we're actually raising the rye for the grain. And uh, I'm very pleased with how the rye looks right now. It's uh, We're fully jointed and uh, it's growing pretty aggressively. We got good cover on the ground, but it's, it's going to need a rain too. But it is an additional rotation along with our corn, milo, millet, wheat and uh, soybeans. We're just trying to keep add a few new things in there and diversify as much as we can. And then when do you harvest rye? We're supposed to be looking at harvesting that early June. So we're hoping to get it harvested before we jump into wheat. Scott, where will you then store it? So we're going to store it on farm. We're working with uh, green cover seed out of Nebraska. So we'll store it here for them and then they'll bring a cleaner and they are using the seed for their cover mixes that they're providing customers across the country. That's a different variety of rye than what you're raising for distilling rye? Well, we're going to try and use the same. We're, okay. We'll do the sampling on it, and we'll take a little bit up there to the 10th Mountain Distillery in Gypsum, and we're going to run a sample on that. So it'll be a super bag, about 2,000 pounds. We are having a dialogue with uh, rye breeders on different varieties that we might use different for the uh, distilling. So we'll try that next year. That distillery actually does the distilling there. It actually does all the the mash and everything right there. They do. They take the raw grain in, both super bags of rye and barley and semi-loads of corn, and they do it right there on location. It's in gypsum. Got a little tour of that here about a month ago and uh, really neat. Enjoying the idea of working with these guys and giving it a try. Scott, how did you connect with that distillery and how did you even get to thinking about that industry? Oh, for years, I've wanted to get involved in the distilling industry somehow with grain off the farm, just telling the story from the farm all the way to the bottle. And then I met these guys in Vail. We have a place up there. We vacation up there and they have a store right there in town and met the guys there and really enjoy their rye whiskey and their bourbon. And that's how I got introduced to them. You know me, I'm not very shy. I'll talk to anybody about anything. (laughs) That is pretty cool, Scott. I like that story. And just to bring it back around a little bit, so you can put that cereal rye information into the Simple Farms app? Absolutely. So the field we're growing it on, we'll uh, run just a specific analysis on that end. 
and where we're marketing it. We'll put the price point in that we're working with those guys, shipping costs, everything like that. And yeah, so we can figure out exactly what our cost of production is on that end and where our profitability levels. We'll do it for five years, see how things work. We'll pivot from there if things just aren't working out financially. How many acres do you have planted to cereal rye? We've got a little over 640 acres right now. And uh, okay. some of that's dry land, some's irrigation. So we've got three circles of it as well. That's where I was headed next. I was, going to, I was going to ask you if it was dry land or irrigated. So it's the same variety you're doing a little of both on. Yeah, uh, we're actually doing two different varieties. We are doing oh, some test okay. plots as well. And yeah, and they're dry land and irrigated. And we've got that all mapped out. And mm -hmm. So the guys will have a lot of fun when we're harvesting. Scott, speaking of test plots, let's talk about that a little bit. Do you do test plots for Colorado State University or any other educational institute? I had for years, Lori. We were actually doing just because the way we were structured with a 60-foot air drill back in the day when there were, everybody else was running box drills. We weren't able to just segregate seeds, so we were doing very large test plots for them. We were working with them on water-absorbent polymers and doing some other products out there. Yeah, I did it for years, but then we got to where it was very inefficient for us, and so we backed off. But now we're taking some of my education from that and going back to it with some other varieties just independently on our own farm. And then going back to the app as well, I know that you just had some meetings. You had one uh, in my neck of the woods here not too long ago. You've been out and about. So what are some questions or, or comments that you've been getting uh, from farmers or from users on the app? This year was a lot of fun. We really added a lot of the new guys. So it was a lot of the legwork for Julie and I, just helping them first get set up. And then a lot of questions. Every one of us looks at our farm a little differently. And so just having the dialogue of how they want to look at their farm and run certain analysis and what variables they're really concerned about, you know, fuel expense, labor, relative to maybe another farmer not so concerned about those and how they look at each other on their their farms. So that's a lot of our dialogue is just how people want to look at an analysis and look at their operation based on their inputs. I know that you and I've talked about this in the past. You were going to add in a livestock segment and you were working on that. Where's that at in the process? It's just sitting in the background. I guess I've got a rough draft of how we're going to do it. It'll be a while. We would like to get more traction with just the grain production in. And uh, once we've got, I don't know, my number was kind of 200 to 300 users. I think at that point, we've got a revenue point and a customer base that we can start focusing on other aspects outside of just grain production. We just did have a dialogue yesterday with an operation in California. They're wanting to see different ways they could use simple farms, and it just doesn't fit like their cherry operation or their pumpkin patch. Those are things that we probably add in over time as well here, as well as the cattle in. I can say we just did a launch last night. Our Google Maps is now up and running on the program. I haven't even had a chance to look at it this morning. So after we do this podcast, I plan on looking at that. That had been a design project for almost a year and a half. Scott, I didn't realize. Scott, this is good information. I actually didn't realize how long it takes to make updates and to change those things that you want to change on the back end of an app. You're exactly right, Lori. It is a process in there. First, you've got some leadership in the team, and then you have your engineers. And so we have the dialogue with the leadership, and then we bring in the engineers on the concept. And it's still hard for me to wrap my mind around is, is you've got an idea how you want it to function in the program. 
but you get under the hood and start turning the wrenches. You find out you just can't do one thing and make another thing work. Everything's intertwined and it can cause a lot of problems when you change one thing. It ends up being a long process and the more technical we're getting with the program, the, the more difficult it is. I mean, this Google Map project, I thought maybe take six months and it's taken almost a year and a half. And it's like anything else, we have turnover with engineers with the company. So you get one that leaves and you got to get another one in and get them up to speed. And we've been very fortunate. The leadership of our team has really kept everybody on the same page and that it really looks good on the program. But it just all those factors like anything else, building a house or anything else, it just a little more expensive than you anticipated and a little longer on your timeline. But Google Maps is officially rolled out right now. So will anybody who is currently a user be able to see that as we speak? They should. I would love to describe it all to you. My concept was is that it's just another option when you set up your fields. We use historically an icon to represent your field. Now you'll have the map option and go in and be able to map the field on Google Maps. And then uh, we have identifiers. So if you want to tell that your corn crop is yellow or green, uh, you can put that identifier with, with it, and when you plant that corn crop in that field, it'll be outlined yellow. We're hoping, and I got to look at it here, we'd also had the dialogue where you use that visual of the field as a hotkey to go and see all the operations that occurred for that year, or you can select what year. I don't know if that got pushed with this. It was an additional design I put in about three months after we got started, so it'll probably be a feature that's still coming down the pike. I got to look at it this morning. Pretty neat, though, if you could do that. That is really neat. Just one touch and you have all this data right in front of you. Oh, that's our goal. We're just going to keep making it easier and easier. It's definitely in the steps. We've had uh, with the signups this year, we've had some really advanced people jump on the program that were trying other things. There were spreadsheet people that had great input. And so we've thrown those ideas to the development team and they're working away on that now, getting those fixes in to just simplify the process of setting up your farm. It'll never end, Lori. It's just everybody's got ideas. We've got ideas and we just keep throwing them at the team. And it's all based on what our budget will allow us as well. Right, right. Well, the ideas will keep coming from you for sure. And the technology will continue to change. So there'll always be something new, I suppose. It it will (laughs) never end. It will never end. I thought maybe, you know, after about 12 updates, the program would be set. And I've learned that it will never end all the updates we will do in this. The data that is put in there, how is it protected? So the data, we are using Amazon as our storage platform. They're probably one of the most secure out there. And so everybody's data is in there. And it's only accessible with their email, their password. Uh, There's no other way to see their data. Even my development team, all they see is code. And the fun thing is, is we're collecting data. And as we keep doing updates, we can create filters that extract that data. And we can look at things differently on the farms as we go down the road. I would love to see how we can perform things historically and analyze it that way. And uh, it doesn't exist right now, but as we add more data in and we create the filters, we'll be able to do a lot of neat things with what we're collecting. Scott, shifting gears on you now, what are some other things going on in the agriculture industry that has your attention right now? Uh, I think drones. (laughs) I think our next step is going to be drones. I don't know what aspect, but where we are basically got automation running out in the fields and we're uh, watching it from the sidelines, either on our iPads and uh, we've just got automated machines running through the fields. And there's more and more of that occurring out there. 
There's some independent guys building some equipment that are trialing it right now that I've had dialogues with. I think that's going to be a big thing coming up here in the next few years that we're going to see. In the more lucrative industries like the vegetable and fruit industry, that's a lot of that's already going on. But when we get into more of the standardized grains, I think we're going to see it here pretty soon. Corn, milo, where we got machines running through the fields, keeping the weed pressure out. Maybe even doing the spraying eventually. We are actually sent some product to an individual that is trialing these with the sprayer that runs down the rows and sprays. So we've got them trying some biologicals in their mix on their sprayers. They go through the field right now. Right now, you do use drones or you're just testing drones? Uh, we're wanting to get our hands on them. Right now, we have none here. We're having the dialogue okay. with some companies to try and get some here on our operation. Well, that'll be interesting to talk about how you use those. And I know that there are some operations where that data from drones, and I, I don't know, I just know superficial. <laughs> the data from the drones is feeding into Google Maps types programs and things like that. Even NASA uses that same type of technology. Exactly. Uh, you know, where you're getting more right on the ground, constantly clear across the field, getting data as they go through the field. And, you know, some of our larger, newer equipments are already doing that. I know uh, I've seen planters mostly where they're recording the the oil, moisture, and other data. This tech is moving so fast. It's fun having the dialogue with a lot of guys that are really specialists on it. And we're just trying to develop a relationship with them and gain knowledge from those guys. We want to apply it on our farm. Give it a try. Now, I would imagine, and I haven't really talked too much about this specifically either, but are drones very costly to have on your farm? Oh, I think they're like anything new technology. They will be initially. And I think economy scale, they eventually come down. I think there's a point, you know, we got a new tractor coming. We're looking to order another one. And the, the prices of this machinery anymore and the cost is just insane. I don't think it would be hard to get a drone down in your price point where you could replace these larger tractors. But Very interesting. All right. Well, I'll look forward to talking to, with you more about that as, as that progresses. And it just reminds me of the conversations I have with folks on some of these points you're making is why it's so difficult for people, whether they're younger or older, whatever, to get into farming, to, to get started in the industry if they didn't grow up in it or have some sort of prior connection. It is. What we try to do is, uh, you know, we're always trying to hire or bring new people on the operation. Is I, I'm not necessarily looking for anybody that's even got experience, but if they're interested in this industry and would like to get involved, I have ourselves and the peers that would Love to bring somebody in, and if they would like to get into agriculture and they prove it and they work hard, is I would like to create opportunity for them to get in and get a foothold. Eventually, you know, me and others will retire and let them lease the ground and use the education they got from us and pass it on and let them get started. And I think there's a way for the younger people. They just need to get in on an operation that exists and uh, prove that they can work hard and they care and they got the ethics. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for mentioning that. And, and that brings up Something else you said when I was at that meeting with you and Brush is this job, if you will, is a, it's not just a, a job. It's a lifestyle. It's it's with you. It's part of what you do, even when you're not out in the field. I've always believed it's it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. You live and breathe it. It's You don't get to look at the calendar and say, I get these days off. Mother Nature dictates what you do when you get to go and when you don't. 
you know, we really work hard at trying to schedule some time to spend with the family and off. But when it's go time, it's go time. And you just got to get out yeah. there and run at the perfect opportunity. Scott, those are some excellent points and a good way for people to get into the industry. I, I think that's the way we can get help as well. It's a, it's a two-way street. It goes both ways. That's the people I would like to get in. And we do have individuals on our operation right now that want to be farmers. And this is the only way they're going to get that opportunity. And so we're trying to groom them for that aspect. That way I can help pass it down. If my children don't want to be involved, but they'll still have ownership of the farm, there's still people out here that want to run it. Anything else you want to talk about on the farm? Any of the other, you know, you we've talked on and off about the, the shrimp side of the farming and the cattle side. It sounds like you're out of the cattle market right now. Is that right? We just rounded up the herd. We're hoping to get those. We're scheduled to go to the sale barn here in two weeks. Okay. And uh, okay. so, you know, we were just working with older cows. So they're calved out and ready to go to the sale. So we'll get those off the place. And uh, we have neighbors that lease our grass in the summer. So they'll be bringing them back on but not retaining our own cattle. We'll focus on getting the farming done. Planters ready to roll. We're going to be out in the field probably next week. All right. And when is the next round of shrimp coming in? So I am hoping today I will complete the new filter system and we should have the shrimp ordered and growing here in about two weeks. So we're hoping three months from now we'll be marketable. So here we go again. Scott, anything else to mention today? Just everybody pray for rain right now, especially down in our region. We're hurting pretty bad. So is Western Kansas. I know that. We can do that, Scott. And you can find more information and a demo on that app on his website at simplefarms.ag. Scott, I know your team is always there to help as well. Julie is great about making herself available if anyone has any questions or needs a little extra help in navigating the app. Again, I want to thank Scott Scheimer for joining me, farmer in Cheyenne Wells, Colorado, and creator and founder of the Simple Farms LLC app. I'm Lori Boyer.